tonight, uh, some things I want to share with you, I, I hope you realize that once we get born again, once that we receive Christ as our Savior, we go on a journey in this life, this side of heaven. Uh, and that journey is where we are being changed, transformed into the image of the Father's Son, Jesus, changed into His likeness. That's not the topic of this sermon, that's a, but that is something we will always undergo as long as we are physically in the body. We're all undergoing a transformation process. Just by sitting under the Word tonight, uh, ministered, you are going under a transformation process that bypasses your mind. It goes into your spirit man and then floods into your mind in the days ahead. Uh, and that's good. That's what we should be doing. And um, yet most believers don't tend to get this. They don't get it that, uh, that the Spirit of God has us constantly under construction. We're under construction. We haven't arrived yet. So just when you're frustrated with yourself, ah, oh, thank God I'm still under construction, you know. And, you know, but under, under the constant construction also means we are under constant change. Constant change is always coming our way year by year because we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're being conformed to His holiness. We're not being conformed to the culture of this world or the, or the age we live in, but we're being conformed supernaturally uh, apart from time, apart from this uh, culture we live in, into heaven's culture, if you want to call it, uh, we're being transformed into that image, constantly being transformed, constantly under change. And we politely call this growth in Christ, but you know, it's really a ripping away of all that's not of Him. We all have it. We're being, it's being a ripping away of all that's not of Him in our lives, being transformed into what He has designed for you and me to become. Isn't that amazing? He has something uh, planned for, I mean, the, the great Stephen Hill who's got home to be with the Lord, evangelist, he's always used to say, God's got a plan for your life. He does. He has a plan for our individual lives, and we're under construction. We're under change to conform to that plan. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be very young or very old. It doesn't matter. God is always the God of the now, the God of the second chance. Uh, you don't grow too old in the kingdom of God. It's always a fresh new, a fresh change that we go through. And I don't know about you, but I personally, the way I'm wired, I don't like change. I know there's people out there, they love change. I can't relate. I don't like it. I just don't like it. Yet I know resistance is futile. <laughs> you must conform to His change. So I don't want to go kicking and screaming here, you know, but I personally, it was given to me, there'd be no change. But uh, unfortunately, uh, that's not the way it is. I'm constantly being called to change as a believer. Um, isn't that amazing, though? Scripture shows us that God doesn't change, yet He leads His people into change. Very important we get that. All through the centuries, way back into the Old Testament, God doesn't change, as it says in Numbers, but He leads His people into change. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, he leads us uh, into depending less on ourselves and more on Him. Even more so, He calls us to die to our own abilities apart from Him that we would put confidence in, uh, that all our confidence would be in His ability being worked out through us. So to understand this concept will cause you to excel in being used of Him. 
truly. And uh, we're going to see this concept illustrated tonight in the life of Moses. And that's sort of my title tonight, uh, Moses, God's Picture of Change. One thing amazing about Moses, he's a picture of change. And Moses was someone who had to die to the confidence that he had in his own ability so that he would become useful to God and have no confidence in his own flesh. Easier said than done. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, which has always been a favorite scripture of mine, it says uh, from Paul, for whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So earlier times, in other words, we go back into the Old Testament, they're not Death Valley days. They're entire lifetimes you're looking at that are real, factual, and by looking at someone's entire lifetime, we're meant to draw from that uh, understanding that we don't fall into the same problems. We use them as object lessons. God will give us instruction for our own lives of what they did right, what they did wrong, that we can take into our own lives and benefit from that. So that was written in the earlier times, was that we might have hope. And because uh, it tells us, Paul tells us, we see this side of heaven in a mirror dimly. We don't quite see that clearly. So we need help here a little bit. And the Scriptures give us that help by looking at entire lifetimes of people, of what they did wrong, what they did right, to take that instruction seriously. People don't tend to do that too much today, but it's so serious. Paul illustrates that there in Romans chapter 15. So considering what Paul says here, my point being is when we look at the life of Moses, it becomes a picture, his whole life becomes a picture for us to learn from that we would have hope. So that's, let's do that tonight, take a look at that. But please take note, when we look at Moses' life, I don't know what to tell you, but we're really looking at ourselves. So saying ouch is okay. We're really looking at ourselves more than we realize, which is, uh, I don't know what to say there. Uh, well, first of all, did you know that Moses' life can be divided into three parts? There's the first 40 years of his life, which he lives under Pharaoh. There's the second 40 years of his life, where he lives in the desert in Midian. Then there's the last 40 years of his life where he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt into uh, the wilderness, eventually with Joshua in the Promised Land. How about that? You can divide his life into three phases, very even phases, by the way. Um, and we learn from Moses that when we divide his life into three phases, we find in the first 40 years, Moses is very self-confident. We find in the next 40 years of his life, he's totally broken of all the self-confidence he built up in the first 40 years. Ouch. And in the last 40 years of his life, he's rebuilt by Jehovah God to the confidence only in Jehovah he would have. Isn't that interesting? Very often, I don't remember the exact phrase, but when one joins the Marines, they break you down into what you think you were into what they want you to be. And you come out a very different person when a basic training is done. You become a very different person. And they're an illustration of that. They do it a lot quicker than God did it. But anyway, uh, here in Moses' life, let's take a look at this. In Acts chapter 7, we have an interesting discourse on Moses' life, obviously being used as an object lesson. So in Acts chapter 7, verses 20 to 29, 
It says at the beginning here, in the first phase of his life, and it was at this time that Moses was born. He was lovely in the sight of God. Isn't that an odd phrase? God played favorites. Oh, look at that cute baby. God actually did that. Isn't that wild? He was lovely in the sight of God. I thought that was funny. And he nurtured three months in the father's home, his father's home. Verse 21. Then after he had been exposed, that is, this is a Hebrew child, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And Moses was, this is an important one, verse 23, and two, and Moses was educated in all the learnings of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Okay, stop there for a second. He spends the first 40 years of his life being educated in the way of the Egyptians. Now, in the Bible, Egypt is a picture. There's a lot of allegories here in the Word of God. Uh, Egypt is a picture of the carnal, corrupt world outside of the kingdom of God. And we're not saying P-U Egypt. We're not saying that. But it's a picture. It's used as a picture of the corrupt, carnal world outside of the word of, uh, kingdom of God. So he's educated in the way of the world. He becomes totally self-confident, totally self-assured. He is a mover and a shaker. He's a man of the world. He's the big guy that calls the shots. He's in charge. He's like super sports celebrities of our day today. And notice it says a man of power. He had to be very impressive. He had to be very aggressive. Okay, like some uh, corporate uh, power broker of today, uh, by his words and his deeds. He must have been quite impressive, a real mega ego man. Verse 23, but when he was approaching the age of 40, okay, first part of his life, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. So obviously he knew he was a Hebrew. Verse 24, and he saw one of them being treated unjustly. He defended him and took vengeance on the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. That's a big deal. Killed somebody. Uh, now, obviously, revelation had come to him somewhere. It doesn't quite tell us, but he probably knew he was a deliverer of some type. But he was very premature. He was not in God's timetable at all. He had his own timetable. A lot of us have our own timetables. Ouch. Ouch, 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 ouch. And by his actions, we could probably conclude he would deliver God's people in his own plan, which looks like here, uh, he'd kill them one at a time. <laughs> uh, that's what he was going to do. Uh, it appears that way. Uh, so Moses here is full of self-confidence in what he knew he could do. So obviously, Moses never read the book of James. Obviously, there was no book of James at the time. In James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, I don't care how good you are in the flesh. Your anger is not going to please God when it's used in violence towards someone else, especially in this case. We're not talking a self-defense issue here. We're talking he attacks someone. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, it continues about Moses, and he supposed— that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Here, he's full of himself. Don't you know who I am? Amazing. He thought they would understand this. In verse 26, so on the following day, 
he appeared to them, and they were fighting together. Apparently, these two guys could have been in a real fist fight here. And he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, are you brethren? Why do you injure one another? But one of them who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Do you? No, Moses, they don't understand. So, we have here uh, Moses, a man who had a lot to offer what he believed in the eyes of other men couldn't be used by God. He was too full of himself. And sad to say, if you hang around church long enough, you're going to meet a lot of these people. They, 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 uh, I'm very serious. Over the years, I met quite a few. They get born again. Thank you, Jesus. But they're impressed with themselves. Like we had this one guy here one time. He was real serious. He loved the Lord. He's like, well, you know, I've been a very successful salesman. God will use me to lead people to Christ. I'm very good at selling things. I think God really did well to get me saved. That's what he said. <laughs> and I went, oh, you're headed for a fall. Oh, gosh. We had someone here many moons ago. I think the church was less than a year old. And this person was in charge of putting together our database. And this person said to Pastor Walt, boy, you're glad to have me here. I'm really good. And Walt didn't say a word, but he said internally, too bad, honey. I see a fall coming. And sure enough, this person wiped out the entire database <laughs> by accident. Now, it's a good thing we didn't have much in it at the time. And no one was going to beat the person up, but the person was so devastated over what they did, they disappeared. We never saw them again. They were so hard on themselves. So, uh, yeah, we've met these people over the years who are really impressed with themselves. They're God's gift of Christianity. Uh, and uh, so we see here, again, when we're looking at uh, what we just read here in verses 26 through 28, uh, we see here, no, they don't understand. Moses gets chastised by them. You're going to kill me too? And now all of a sudden he's probably terrified. Am I going to be caught? Am I going to be discovered? So here in verse 29, it says, and at this remark, Moses fled. And he became an alien in the land of Midian, which is basically a desert area, where he became the father of two sons. How about that? Now, somewhere he must have known the Lord was, was calling him to get away from this situation because it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, he did this by faith as he left Egypt. So somehow he did make a connection, I've got to leave. I've done wrong or whatever. Somewhere he did somewhat, it doesn't tell us, but he got the connection somewhat. So Moses here is soon going to find out that God has a work to do in Moses. Yes, the call to be a deliverer is real, but the timing is in God's hands. So Moses spends the next 40 years of his life being broken by God and broken from the wisdom of Egypt, the wisdom of the world. Wow. I don't know how old you are, but that's like you saying you're gonna, your life's going to be on pause now. Everything you thought you've learned isn't going to matter anyway. You're going to go into a, start a whole new life in the witness protection program. I don't know. Wow. That's like drastic. Yeah. In fact, uh, Pastor James had a couple songs that, boy, I don't know the name of it. The title, uh, uh, 
this is my surrender. Is that the name of the song? That is, I got it right. Whatever. But the song, it was like, wow, that's exactly this. You could have, that Moses could have sung this in the wilderness. This is him. This is now I have to surrender. Um, so uh, he learns now in the wilderness of Midian, he's going to learn death to self. He's going to learn death to his self-interests. He's going to learn putting down any confidence he had in his flesh. He's going to learn brokenness. You don't hear that preached in a lot of churches today, at least Pentecostal charismatic ones. He's going to learn brokenness. He's going to learn not to walk in the wisdom of Egypt. Instead, we see here in the book of Acts, he gets a wife and two sons instead. And he tends the sheep, a completely different lifestyle from this power broker from Egypt. You've got to be kidding me. I'm going to clean up after sheep? Yeah. Wow. That has got to be a life change in half. And yes, he married Yvonne de Carlo. Those old enough to remember know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, I'm not going to explain it. I'm not going to explain it. So anyway, I just want to see you paying attention. So anyway, um, what we find here is interesting. We're talking 40 years? 40 years? An entire second lifetime? 40 years? The point here is the breaking of Moses doesn't happen in a weekend seminar that he went to. It doesn't happen on a trip to a conference. Because we're kind of told that's how to do it. Wrong. That might be a beginning, but wrong. No, it takes T-I-M-E. Now, only God knows for what person time is needed, but it takes time. But on the, uh, though it looks like a downer here, you always have to remember something in the, in the kingdom of God. Preparation time is good. Preparation time is never lost time. It's some of the most valuable time you could ever get. This can be greatly valuable time. So what we're saying here, in your Christian experience, in my Christian experience, wonderful you came to know Christ as your Savior. Sooner or later, you have got to be confronted with your flesh if you truly are born again. And you'll find it stinks. That is, when I say flesh, I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about where your willpower meets your soul to act out in your life. That's the, technically the flesh. Where your willpower has to surrender to God and be broken. Where you're not in charge of your life anymore. Not sitting on the throne of your own soul anymore. Sooner or later, we're going to get confronted with that and we won't like what we see. And that's the preparation time we go through where this needs to be broken where we're not going to act like the rest of the world anymore. And hopefully not think like the rest of the world anymore. But of course, the problem we all have is we live in a society with, this, with, the, with, the, with the media we have today, especially we are bombarded with the world out there telling us conform, 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 and we're to be doing the opposite. And you can't live like a hermit, so not easy. This is a real, real struggle everyone should, you know, we all go through. So by the end of his wilderness experience here, Moses, we see a different man. He doesn't look like the wealth of Egypt. He doesn't smell like the perfumed oils of Egypt. He probably smells like the animals he keeps. But now, at the right time in his life, and only God knows when that period of brokenness is, I don't want to use the word complete, but at a time where God can use this person, uh, he has his burning bush experience with God. Now, you would have thought 
Oh, finally, God, where have you been all these years? I've been waiting for you. Don't you know who I am? No, that's not the experience. At this time in his life, he is totally broken of all self-resources to accomplish any deliverance. He doesn't believe in himself, probably. And the burning bush experience for him is very uncomfortable. He doesn't want the deliver job position anymore. He tries to talk God out of it. What an amazing thing. He can only remember his one feeble attempt, probably, to free uh, Israel in his own strength by killing an Egyptian, and he's probably ashamed of these memories. So we look at Exodus here, chapter 4, verse 10. He has his burning bush experience, and then Moses said to the Lord, this is fascinating when you follow what's going on here, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in past time. Stop! That's a lie. You were in the power of Egypt, dude. It says so in Acts. In words and deed, you certainly were an eloquent man. You certainly knew how to handle yourself. He says, not recently or in times past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What? He stutters. Who is this? Is this the Moses of Pharaoh's household, educated in the wisdom of Egypt? No, not any longer. This is a Moses broken in the wilderness. Could this be the same man? Actually, he's a new man changed by God. And very possible the memories of Egypt are long forgotten. Very possible. Now, Notice here, we're not going to go through all these scriptures because we could be here a long time with this. I'll just give you the highlights real quickly. Notice here in the second phase of his life, what he lacks. I'm just going to paraphrase. From Exodus chapter 3 and 4. From Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, I have no reputation. From Exodus chapter 3 verse 13, I have no resources. From Exodus chapter 4 verse 1, I have no message. From Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, I don't talk of no good. Yet we see for everything Moses lacked, God has an abundance of supply of grace to replace it. So in chapter 3, verse 11, I have no reputation. God's answer is, I will be with you. In verse 13, I have no resources. God's answer, I will be with you. In chapter 4, verse 1, I have no message. God's answer, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, let my people go. Now he's got a message. And I love this in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. I'm not talking no good. God's answer, use Aaron. <laughs> Wild. He needs help. All right, so in chapter 4 here, we moving on here, verses 11 and 12. And the Lord said to him, who has made the man's mouth? Or what makes him dumb or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, now go, then go. And I, even I, will be your mouth and teach you what to say. Wow, that should be all of us, hopefully. Uh, here God is telling him, you don't get it. If you put confidence in me, I will make a success out of you. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. 
And we see here in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith he goes forth and becomes a deliverer. So somehow he did respond by faith in his heart. Not knowing where he was going, but believing. Somehow he got there in that. So in the last part of his life here, we see that uh, he is God's leader, shaped by God's wisdom and character. And if we've learned anything from politics over the last 20 years or so, character matters. So Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than any other man who was on the face of the earth. In the King James, it says meek. This cannot be the Moses of Egypt. A meek man? No. Now he's the Moses of God. This is a different man. And if you've been following here, we said, we're saying here, he's us. So should we be. So should we be, hopefully, people who didn't see you for a long time and didn't know you were a believer and now find you're a believer. The greatest compliment you could receive is, whoa, you changed. Why, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the greatest comment you can get. You're not the same anymore. Why, thank you. If they say, hey, you haven't changed at all. Oh, Lord, help. Right? You know, as the old expression goes, if I ever get put on trial for being a Christian, I hope they'll find enough evidence to have me found guilty. That's what we want. We all want. Really? You know you've changed. You're not the same anymore. So this cannot be the Moses of Egypt here. So what he may have done as mighty deeds in the first 40 years of his life have gotten to pale to insignificance in the light of the mighty deeds he's going to do in the last part of his life. So in the first part of his life, we see he learned self-confidence and the wisdom of the world. In the second part of his life, he is trained in the wisdom from above. And in the third part of his life, he's now going to learn to be a leader in character, the kind of character that God requires of all of us. So why can't we be this last Moses? God calls all of us to be this last Moses in character, someone God can use. Shouldn't that be the cry of all of our hearts? Use me, Lord, here I am. Maybe he can't yet, <laughs> but it doesn't mean he won't. But we, we, can't we just say, in essence, use me? Get me to the point where I can be used, that I'm not going to get in your way? God answers prayers like that because they're selfless. He'll answer prayers like that for sure. You know, so we need to take stock of ourselves and examine ourselves. Don't know who's here tonight. Don't know who's listening in the cloud world out there. Uh, but uh, if you're confident in your education and you're leaning upon it, if you're confident in your reputation that you've built among men, maybe in the uh, money and uh, 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 things of life that you acquired, uh, if you're constant, confident in the wisdom of God that you lean on, you're the first Moses. You haven't even begun to prepare yourself to be used of the Lord. God can't use the first Moses. That Moses, why, why, why couldn't God use him? The simple answer, that Moses would have taken all the credit for what God did and built his own pride. When we think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
working of miracles, gifts of healings. Why, one reason why we probably don't see it flow that much in the world we live in, the society we live in, people will take credit for it, not God. And they have over the years. People will build their own kingdoms, their own multi-million dollar ministries, which you wonder, okay, nice, what are you doing with it? Uh, You know, they will build for themselves a name. They'll tell you, oh, I would never do that. Never touch the Lord's glory. You're doing it. So, you know, it's not a put down, but let's be honest. People are just very much into themselves, even when God wants to use them. You know, people who are truly used of the Lord never, ever have to brag about it. Those truly anointed of God, everybody knows it. It used to be an old saying years ago. I forgot exactly how it goes. If a man is walking alongside with a beautiful woman, nobody has, he doesn't have to tell anybody. Everybody knows it. It's obvious to everyone. If you have uh, the Lord working in your life, everyone's going to notice it. You don't have to show anybody. You have nothing to prove. And I've seen people try to do that, and oh, yeah, yeah, what a mess. Uh, you know, bad, bad, bad. Uh, so, um, Yet, you know, if we look back here and we look at ourselves uh, being broken of all self-achievement, that doesn't mean we have to, you know, throw away everything we own us. It's a very personal thing. The Lord knows what button to push in us that we hold, like, don't touch that one, don't touch that one. He knows which one that is. Nobody else has to know that. He knows. But, you know, we're called to be broken of anything we can boast of, hey, look at me, when it comes to the Lord, all of us. Philippians chapter 3, love this, verses 7 and 8. This is Paul talking, the leading rabbi, the troubleshooter who hunted down Christians because he didn't like this sect called Christians, etc., etc., etc. This is Paul, the hotshot rabbi, soon to be a bigger hotshot rabbi, is no longer And look what he says, but whatever things were gained to me, and he had a lot of it, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I don't know about you. Not everyone has the same testimony, and that's okay. But when you came to Christ, did it cost you something? Some people, it sure did. Family members maybe stopped talking to you because you didn't go to the church they went to or you weren't going in the tradition they wanted. I know two men clearly greatly used of the Lord whose families were quite wealthy and expected their brothers, cousins to go into business with them. And they said no, because they knew that would cost them in the eyes of the Lord. Because they'd have to do bribes, they'd have to steal, they'd have to cheat, you know, they'd have to step on other people to get wealthy. That's how those worked. And their, the family's attitude was them, but both different families had the same attitude. What is this waste? Why are you wasting your life with this Bible stuff? You're throwing it all away. Don't you know how, how uh, much your family has invested in you, and you're just going to throw it away? But they did it with joy, not with tears. 
I remember one time uh, I was a new believer. I didn't jump up and down on the desk and, and you know, preach Christ, <laughs> I, but I carried a little Bible to work. And I was up for a promotion job. I didn't get it. They hired somebody I thought was less qualified. And one of the secretaries who worked there, who was a Christian, said, don't you know why you didn't get that job? I said, no, why? Because you're a believer, that's why. I felt 10 feet tall. You mean they rejected me because I'm a Christian? She went, yeah. You didn't know that? Oh, that's wonderful. I felt so blessed. I, I felt like I had, no, don't take me literally, like I had won the lottery, you know? I felt really blessed. This is great. They rejected me because I'm a believer. I thought that was the best thing in the world. Uh, yet, yeah, I, I know we had a brother in our Lord here, in the Lord here. He's moved to a different state. He was a brilliant guitar player. He was gifted beyond most people who could play guitar. It was a, he knew it was a gift from God. And before he was saved, he was entering into the rock and roll world, obviously. And he was about to be chosen to go in a very prominent band. I won't mention their name. You would know what it was. I, it, it was a, it's a very well-known rock band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And as uh, soon as he was about to be, because I don't know if you know this, but in a lot of uh, bands when they take contracts, the music studio makes the choice of what members are going to be in that band. Like when the Beatles started, they got rid of Pete Best and brought in Ringo, who was in contract, to the studio. They didn't want Ringo, the band, but he was in contract with the studio, etc. That's very common. So they were about to bring this guy into a band that, that, I don't know how to say this, the studio purchased or they owned, they had contract to, so they could decide who they want in this band. So they want to take, put him in as the lead guitarist because he was brilliant. Just then he gets saved. And he knows clearly, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't enter the rock and roll world. I can't, he was already in it, but I can't do this. And they said, do you realize you're probably throwing away millions of dollars? I can't do it. They obviously cussed at him, told him to get lost, all that kind of stuff. But he had peace. He had joy. He became a, a, a mechanic of uh, very uh, big machinery, far below his ability to play, but he had peace. And he did use his talent for the Lord played in music ministry, but he walked away from a potentially million-dollar career because he did his heart. He went, no, I can't do this. When I got born again, I had already gotten a degree in psychology. I was going to go into graduate school. When I got born again, instantly inside of me, no, you're not going that direction. Where am I going? No answer. <laughs> but I knew I couldn't do that. I just had this witness. If I went in that direction, because I was going to go for a doctorate, I would walk away from Christ. And that is not going to happen. Changed careers. I had no career. Walked completely away from everything I had planned all my life to that day. And I was happy. There was joy. So, you know, um, Paul here. I relate to Paul. Wow. Count as rubbish. What? Count your education as rubbish? Yeah. A pursuit of wealth? There's nothing wrong with pursuing wealth. But in this case, rubbish. Building your own reputation, rubbish. Wow. For in order that I may gain Christ. This speaks to many, many believers. Maybe some of you here or watching on uh, 
the airwaves here have uh, had that experience where you had to make a life-change decision because you can't go that direction anymore. I'll tell you a quick story, a true story, because uh, we have time. Uh, one a brother in Christ, he was a salesman, a very expensive uh, machine shop, uh, numerical control machinery. These machines cost over a million dollars each, probably today even more. The company he worked for um, wanted him to take a bribe in order to get a contract. He had just become a believer and said, uh, I can't do that. What do you think? Now, he could have had like in six figures a bribe. Refused, got fired. Uh, what he just so his wife said to him, what did you always want to do? I want to own a restaurant. She looked at him, you don't know how to cook. <laughs> I always want to own a restaurant. So sure enough, he meets somebody else he hasn't seen for years. Oh, he saved too. Oh, he wants to go into the restaurant business. Hey, let's go into the business together. And they opened up a restaurant. He did exactly what he always wanted to do and never thought he would have ever done that. God knows how to make new beginnings. Amen? Amen. So, here Paul is telling us in Philippians 3, we're going to go into discipleship training in the school of the second Moses. We're going to learn to pull aside all that's not of the Lord and pick up something new. Hey, the point here is there's hope for you and me. We're in preparation time, and it's not lost time. The truth is, did you ever consider you are a masterpiece under construction? And I'm not just trying to say nice things. I'm serious. In the eyes of the Lord, you are a masterpiece under construction. You're a miracle waiting to happen to do exploits for the Lord. Now, keep in mind, ah, you got to keep tending the sheep for a while in your life. But God knows how to make suddenlies happen. And He does. I believe strongly we're entering into a time here in the body of Christ where more and more suddenlies are going to be happening more and more. I believe they're coming in a big way. And don't try to figure out what that means or what it is. Because uh, you always got to remember what appears weak in the eyes of men is stronger in the eyes of God. So what seems useless in the eyes of men is very useful in the eyes of the Lord. So I just want to encourage you tonight to keep pressing into the Word of God. Keep worshiping. Right? Keep serving the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Yeah, but I don't know what lies ahead. None of us do. That's why we live by faith. We all want answers, A, B, C, D, I want one, two, three, four. It doesn't work that way. This side of heaven, we're required to walk by faith, believing in something I do not see. Not knowing exactly where I'm going, but I know He'll, he'll get me there. And then th things get revealed. So we started tonight talking about change, and we, although God changes not, He does lead us into change. Finding places, uh, our place here in the kingdom of God, will all of us require personal change. But as we see with Moses, this is a good change. We should seek it and embrace it. Uh, I want to be uh, used of him in my generation. Amen? We want to, then we have to want to go through changes in so many ways if we want to be used of him in our generation. Things change and move on. Isn't that amazing scripture in the book of Acts? Jesus is ascending into heaven, and they're all probably 
looking like this with their mouths open. And these, it says two guys in white linen. They're angels. Two angels show up and say, what are you looking up in the sky for? What an outrageous statement. What do you mean? He just ascended. What are you looking up in the sky for? In other words, your eyes shouldn't be there. Your eyes should be on where you're going next to follow, to follow in, the, in the kingdom of God. Change just happened. The church is about to be born. Change just, you don't understand it yet, but change just happened. It couldn't have happened unless Jesus left. Jesus tells us in John, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter can't come unless he leaves. How about in our own personal life here? Our founding leader has gone home to be with the Lord. That's change. What does that mean in the days ahead? God will reveal that to us. Something is happening in the days ahead that could not have happened if he was still with us in the natural. Change took place. These are significant things that uh, we rejoice at his homecoming, our loss here, this side of heaven. But it's like the angels are going, what are you staring at the sky for? Go back. Change is happening. So Moses truly became useful because he had left uh, everything uh, that the world had to offer, and he became uh, humble in character. God is still looking for people like this today. And it, our answer should be, Lord, use me. Prepare me for that. Back to the book of James to close. Uh, it tells us here in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And that's something you just have to personally meditate on. What does that mean to me? What does that mean in where I'm at in Christ? What does that mean to me? That answer you can only get from heaven. How about if we just stand? Let's do a prayer of consecration. I think uh, Pastor James already did that in the songs because I know you were singing uh, from your spirit to that. And um, so let me lead you in a prayer. How about that? If you would just repeat after me. Not quite sure what I'm going to say here, but let's just do this. Father God, do a work for me. Make me into the Moses that you want me to be. Conform me to your image. I agree with the plans that you have for me. I don't disdain them. I embrace them with joy. Establish all that concerns me. I consecrate myself tonight to you, Lord Jesus, knowing my days ahead are in your hands. And I trust you. And I thank you in the name of Jesus tonight for hearing my prayer in his name. Amen.